when I was uh, when I was in middle school, I made kind of my first real group of friends by choice. You know, when you're when you're in elementary school, you just play with whoever's on the playground and whoever had the newest Nintendo 64. But in middle school, you really kind of make a, at least for me anyway, you make kind of a more purposeful decision about who your friends are going to be and who you want to hang out with. And I, I kind of made this core group of friends when I started in seventh grade. And one of my friends, his name was Ryan. And Ryan and I were very similar in a lot of ways. We had a lot of the same classes together and Obviously, we shared the same friend group and all of that, and Ryan and I were both learning how to play guitar at about the same time. Now, he had started about a year or two before me, but we were both, you know, just kind of fresh and new into this journey of learning how to play this instrument, and I, I don't know if you have situations or stories like this in your life, but you know how sometimes there's just an event that is burned into your memory for whatever reason. It's like, it's one of those core memories. And I have one of those with Ryan. I was over at his house and our, our whole friend group was there. We were hanging out on, a, I don't know, Friday night or something like that. And it was kind of our core group plus, you know, some other kids. There's probably 10 or 15 of us just sitting in his living room. And, you know, this is before iPhones and TikToks. We're actually talking to each other and, you know, having a having a good time and all that sort of thing. And I don't know what sparked this, but Ryan left and then came back with two guitars, one for himself, and then he handed one to me. And I don't know if if we were listening to a song on the radio or, you know, maybe he just wanted to jam out on something else, but he hands a guitar to me. He wanted to play this whatever cool riff and show off in front of all our friends. And he told me, Shaheen, just, just kind of play an E major chord. And I took this guitar and I just sat there like a deer in the headlights, okay? I'm only a couple months into learning guitar. I barely know the string names, let alone chords. And he says, play an E major. Like, he might as well have been speaking German to me, you know? I have no clue what an E major chord is. And he starts playing his little thing. And I just kind of sit there, you know, pretending like I'm doing something important. And he stops. He says, hey, Shane, just play, play an E major chord, right? And... I, all my friends are there. Like, I don't want to look like an idiot, but I, I don't have the slightest clue what to do. I don't even know what E major means. And so like, I, I feel, you know, that when you get nervous, you feel this like hot, sweaty, clammy and your palms get wet. I am feeling this full force right there. And I don't know how much time passed, but, but we're sitting there and I'm not playing E major. Cause I don't know what the heck E major is. And I remember him getting to the point where he set his guitar down and in front of all of our friends, he came over and physically moved my fingers into the right spots on the guitar neck to play an E major chord. And I'm sure nobody else thought anything of it. I'm sure it's a million times worse in my head than what it actually was. But I remember the feeling of absolute embarrassment like it just happened five seconds ago. I remember feeling so stupid in front of all my friends and in front of Ryan. And like, I just, I, I, I could not, I was trying to crawl out of my skin with how dumb I felt and not knowing how to play what seemed like to Ryan, this simple, easy chord. And I don't, I don't remember what else happened the rest of the night. All I knew is I could not wait to get out of there. And here's the thing. That was such a a negative experience. I felt so dumb because of that. 
that for the next couple of months, maybe even next year, anytime we got together with our friends and we'd be talking about guitar or Ryan would bring out his guitar, I would just go hang out with somebody else. I, I did not want to be in that situation again. I felt like an idiot. I felt like I was not good enough. And so there was this space that I had to put in between me and Ryan. And I think many of us could probably share a similar story like that. Now, maybe not with guitar, but some other area of our life where we just felt inferior, where we felt less than, where we felt maybe stupid or worthless compared to somebody else. We've all had those experiences, right? Maybe for some of us, we have that experience with our parents, that we could never measure up to whatever our parents standard of us was. We didn't, we didn't achieve or accomplish whatever they wanted us to. And so because of that, we feel like there's this, this space between us. We feel like they see us a certain way because we see us as like, I didn't get there. And there's this tension in the relationship. Maybe for some of us, we feel that way with a, a sibling, you know, a brother or sister, a cousin that was always just so much better at something. Than us. They always seem to achieve. They always seem to, you know, get the gold star and in the family or in school or whatever. And we never felt like we could compete. And so we we purposefully put space in there. We started doing something different. We went the opposite way. And there's this gap then in our relationship with them. Maybe for some of us, we've had so many experiences like that in life that now most of our relationships we have with anybody, with work, with neighbors, with family, with friends. They're all surface level relationships because we feel like if somebody really saw me for who I am, our view of ourselves, our perspective of ourselves, if people could really see the real me, they wouldn't want to be around me, right? I, th- I think it's a, a common human thing that we've all been through before. And unfortunately, it's probably something that's going to just continue to happen. It's part of our nature as people. When we don't feel like we measure up or can do well enough, there's this gap that's caused in our relationship with others. There's a, a famous pastor, at least in kind of pastor world, uh, from, the, from the early 1900s. He was an author. His name is A.W. Tozer. Tozer is, he's got a lot of famous quotes out there, but one of his most famous is he's known for saying, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most defining, you know, when, when, when you and I, according to him anyway, when you and I picture God, his character, his, his love, his nature, his will, all those sorts of things, Tozer says that's the most important thing. That's the thing that will define our lives the most. Now, that might certainly be true. I don't know. It's just Tozer's idea. I think it's definitely important. But I actually think something that a more modern pastor his name's Andy Stanley says, is a little more important. And Andy poses this question. He says this, what do you think about when you think about what God thinks about you? A little bit of a tongue twister, okay? Maybe you need to reread it and think about this for a moment. But what do you think about when you think about what God thinks about you? Now, not the person sitting next to us, not our, our spouse, not our neighbor, not your overachieving brother or sister, but when you stop to think, God, how do you think about me? What, what comes to mind? 
You see, I think this question is much more impactful or important than Tozer's question. Because what do we think about God? That can just be information, you know? We might believe God is patient. But if we don't think God is patient when he looks at us, that's going to affect our lives a lot more. We, we might have this just vague kind of general sense, okay, God listens to prayers, but if we believe that when God thinks about us, if he doesn't listen to our prayers as much as someone else, I tell you what, man, that is going to change how we talk to God, this relationship that we have with him. And so what do you think about when you think about what God thinks about you? Now, I, I realize in a, a group like this, and certainly probably, you know, everybody watching online or listening to the podcast, I know we got a lot of backgrounds, you know, a lot of different experiences. Some of us, we have been, you know, followers of Christ for decades. Others of us, maybe we walked away from our faith as soon as we could, and we're just here because someone's been bugging us for a long time. Some of us, you know, we want to grow in our relationship with God. And there's some of us, you know what, all we want is a get out of jail free card. But here's the thing about this question and about something that I think is common in all of us. When we think about what God thinks about us, we often think about what we think about us, right? When I think about how God views me, my answer from that usually comes from how I think about me. And I think intuitively we're all smart people. We know that's not right, okay? That's not the way that it should be. But it's human nature. When, when we're asked this question, when we think about what God thinks about, typically what it comes down to is just self-evaluation. Well, I see myself this way, and so therefore God must see me that way as well. God takes his cues about me from my cues about me. And when we have a good day, when we feel good about ourselves, you know, then we assume, well, God must feel good about us too, right? When we were patient driving to work, when we were, you know, patient with our kids, when we paid for somebody's coffee behind us in the Starbucks line, when we, you know, didn't blow up at our coworkers, when we actually listened intently to something our spouse said rather than just, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know what, when we do those things, we feel pretty good about ourselves. And then we assume, well, God must, God must be pretty good with me too, right? But it's the opposite side of that that often causes us some pretty big trouble. Because when we feel bad about ourselves, when we feel like we had a bad day, we assume God must be the same. How do you feel about yourself? What's your self-view, your self-perception when you get too angry too easily? Probably not the greatest, right? We start to feel bad about ourselves. And then when we get too angry too easily, we just think, God, you, uh, you must feel the same way about me that I do. How, how do you feel about yourself when you break a promise that you, you just couldn't keep? Whether it was to yourself, to somebody else, maybe even to God. I promise, I promise I'll do this or I won't do this. And then we didn't keep it. How does that change our view of ourselves? How does that make us feel about ourselves? And isn't this true for you? You don't have to answer out loud, but often how we feel about ourselves, don't we assume God must feel that way about us too? How do you feel about yourself when you lie? 
What's your perception of yourself when you know the motives behind that decision you made were not pure at all? How do we feel about ourselves when we blow someone off or we blow up on someone totally uncalled for? How do we feel about ourselves when those secret thoughts run through our mind that we've never told anybody? How does that shape our view? And then what do we think about when we think about what God thinks about us when we feel that way? What do we think about ourselves when we don't pray or read the Bible as often as we think we should? Or when we compare ourselves to someone else, we think they're more patient or they're more this way or they read the Bible more, whatever. And God, when you think about me, probably, it's probably the same way I think about me. See, I, I think there's this, this common place we all kind of arrive at that when we fail, we tell ourselves we're a failure. When we lose, we tell ourselves we're a loser. And then everything about us and in turn, even our relationship with God starts to be filtered through that lens. It's like putting on a red pair of glasses. Everything is colored by that. When we see negative. And I know we don't want to admit all of our flaws and struggles to everybody else. And we try and push it down and we put on our happy church faces, especially here and even all throughout the week. My life's great, but inside, when we know we're not that great, when we see the negative, when our view of ourselves is so negative, how can that not cause a gap in between our relationship with God? If we think about negative, well, then what we think about when we think about what God thinks about us is naturally going to be negative as well. Here's my question for us today. What if God sees something different? What if the way we view ourselves is not the way that God views us? We started this series two weeks ago called Out With The Old, and and the goal of this series has been improving our relationship with God. How can we have a better, healthier, stronger, more connecting relationship with our Heavenly Father? We've, we've kind of been using some key verses every week found in a letter called Romans. And this is what those verses are. This is the, the gospel message. This is the good news about Christianity. He, talking about Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins, for those things that we don't do right, for those those times that we do fail. But he was raised to life also for our justification or our right standing with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, since we have been made right with God, guess what we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You and I have Those of us, if we have put our trust in Jesus, our faith in Jesus, what that means is we admit I have sinned and I am separated from God. There's no way for me to be right with God on my own. Jesus, I believe you lived a perfect life. You paid the penalty for my sins. When we put our faith in Jesus, there is nothing between us and God anymore. We are totally right in his sight. We can experience peace. We have open access to God anytime, anywhere, any place. There is nothing between us anymore. The problem is, is sometimes we 
put unnecessary things in between us and God. Old things that stand in the way of what God has done for us through Jesus. The first week of this series, we talked about how sometimes the old covenant, God's old agreement with the nation of Israel and this obey your bless, disobey your curse. If we still operate under that, it causes, it, it doesn't allow us to have this peace and access to God that Jesus paid for. We need to do out with the old. Last week, we talked about old barriers or old religious practices that we might have that hinder our relationship with God. And here's the thing for this week. I think oftentimes our view of ourselves can be an unnecessary barrier, an unnecessary obstacle in this open relationship that God wants with us and that we can have with him because of what Jesus has done. If we, if you and I, if we want to improve our relationship with God, then we need to throw out the old, the old view of self and adopt a new view, a new view that is set by God. How does God really see us? What does God really think about when he thinks about us? There is this this relationship with God that Jesus made possible in this spiritual connection is so amazing. And there are there God God tells us how he views us. And, and it's probably not true in our relationships with each other. And there's all sorts of things in this physical world. But in this connection that we have with our Heavenly Father, God is clear about the way he sees us when he looks at us. He says what he sees. And we're not going to go through an exhaustive list of everything there is, but I want to talk about a few of the bigger ticket items, if you will. When God looks at us, he sees a friend. For many of us, whether it was growing up or just our perceptions of what we heard about Christianity, we, we think that we need to be servants of God. You know, we're just his servants, his little minions. We got to do what he says and follow this long laundry list and obey and all these things. And there's certainly a lot of benefits to doing what God says. But when God looks at us, he doesn't see a servant. He sees a friend. If you and I, if, if, if when we think about what God thinks about us, if this doesn't come to mind, maybe that's evidence that there's still some old thinking that we need to throw out, out with the old. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. That through Jesus, God calls us his friends and we can do the same. Is your view of yourself in this relationship with God, do you feel like you're his friend? Another thing that God says about us, he calls us his child. Now, I think most of us probably have this kind of just general idea, well, everybody's God's ch child, you know, and that's, that's not technically true. Only people who've put their trust in Jesus are God's children. But it, maybe we feel like, okay, yeah, God, you call me your child, but we kind of feel like the redheaded stepchild, you know? And if you're a redheaded stepchild, I apologize. So, it's just a saying. 
but you kind of feel like, yeah, I mean, God, I guess, I guess I'm your child, but I feel like the Cinderella child that has to be locked away in a tower and clean the dishes. And you don't, you know, there's, there's not a seat for me at the table. Like maybe there is for some other people. If we don't feel like we are God's favorite child, like when God looks at us, he sees a child who he loves. That might be some evidence that there's some old that we need to throw out, some old views of ourself. In Ephesians chapter 1, the, the apostle Paul says that God was pleased to send his son Jesus. Why? So that we could be adopted into his family. Not side adopted, but full members, full children, full heirs with Christ. When God looks at us, he sees his favorite child. If we don't feel like that, there's probably some separation that we need to throw out and adopt a new view. Another thing that God says when he looks at us, he sees us as holy. We don't do things that are always holy, right? In our relationships with each other, we don't always act in holy ways. In fact, more times than not, it's the furthest thing from. But when God looks at us, you know what he sees? The perfection of Jesus. If we have put our trust in Jesus, we have been, this is going to sound weird if you didn't grow up in church, but washed in the blood. Not for real, thank God, okay? But spiritually speaking, in this spiritual realm, we have been cleansed because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Regardless of what we do, regardless of our behaviors, regardless of our motives, when God looks at us, he sees perfect holiness. Now, that doesn't mean that we ignore sin or condone it or any of those sorts of things. In fact, we're going to talk about this sin issue next week specifically, but we see problems, God sees us as blameless. We see struggles, God sees us as pure as his son Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that we have been brought into God's presence through the sacrifice of Jesus, and we stand before him holy and blameless without a single fault. For many of us, we struggle to go to God, to be with God when we've screwed up really bad, you know? Or even more so, we struggle to go to God when we're actively sinning, why? I'm not saying the sin is a good thing, but why? Why do we think that has to stand between us and God? Either we are clean because of Jesus or we're not, and God says we are holy. Not with each other or any of that, but in this relationship with him. How amazing is that? What if we started to adopt or even just accept God? Thank you that this is how you see me. I might struggle with that. Other people are going to, but God, I want to believe what you say about me. God says that we are his masterpiece. Many of us, if, if we had to choose a word to describe ourselves, we would not choose the word masterpiece. We would choose the word accident. We would choose the word screw up. We might say about ourselves that we're damaged. We might say a lot of 
a lot of negative things, but God says we are his masterpiece, that we are made in his image, made to have a relationship with him. When God looks at us, he sees his magnum opus, his, his best work, his prized creation. If we don't feel like a masterpiece in God's eyes, I think maybe that's evidence that there's still some old hanging around that is causing some gaps, some tension, not giving us this full open access to God that Jesus paid for. So many other things that we could put up here, and, but I think maybe kind of to sum them all up, it's this God sees us as a new creation. That the old is gone. Our old way, old view of self, old old self-perception, we can do away with that because God sees us as a new creation. The new is here. And I, I just wonder, like, what if you and I, what if we could start to live with this in mind? What if we could start to see the way God sees us more accurately? Despite our past, despite our present, despite what we're planning to do, maybe tonight or this week, despite our struggles and times we failed and times we didn't measure up to our own or someone else's opinion or expectations, what if, don't you think if we could see ourselves this way, that our relationship with God would be better, would improve? There's a psychologist and author named William Backus who wrote a book called Telling Yourself the Truth. It's a great book. But in there he says this, that condemnation, guilt, despair, self-degradation, shame, and self-hate, all of those things have been nailed to the cross in his body, in Jesus' body. By his taking our sin on the cross with him, guess what? We are set free to live healthy and abundant lives with wholesome, pure, swept clean attitudes, or in other words, free to enjoy a relationship with God. Free to enjoy this open access that Jesus paid such a high price to secure for us. When we look inside at ourselves from our own view, we see plenty of reasons for condemnation and guilt and harsh punishment. But when we look at the cross, when we look at what God has done for us through Jesus, man, we can be set free. Jesus said we can know the truth and the truth would set us free. There is nothing, not even how we feel about ourselves, that needs to stand in the way of the relationship with God that's possible. There's a book quoted from several times before. It's written by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, great book. I recommend everybody read it. It's not gospel truth, right? But it's it's just a very good book. And in this, this whole book is really kind of about this topic right here. But in one of the chapters specifically, Dane addresses our resistance to this truth. Our resistance to accepting God's view of who we are. And he bases this chapter off something that Jesus said in, in the gospel of John, Jesus told some people, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We have a hard time believing that, and, and Dane writes about that. I want to read what he says because I think many of us might find ourselves in these words. He says, fallen, anxious sinners, as you and I, are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for God to cast them out. 
We are factories of fresh resistances to his love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, you and I, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, God will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. We tend to deflect his assurances. And then he writes this make-believe conversation that I think many of us have probably had before as we talk to God. He says this, we say, no, wait, we say, cautiously approaching God. You don't understand. I've, I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You, you know most of it for sure, God, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me. There's evil. There's hidden sin that is hidden from everyone else. I know it all, God says. Well, the, the thing is, God, it's not just my past. It's my, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't, God, I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. Well, then that's the only person I'm here to help. God, this, this burden, this weight, this self-image, this self-perception, this burden is heavy. It's heavier all the time. Okay, then let me carry it. No, it's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't, you know, you, God, you don't get it, okay? My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Well, guess what? Then I'm the one most suited to forgive them. And here's, here's I think, our, our big pushback to this idea. But God, the more of the ugliness in me you discover... The more you see me as I really am, our perception of ourselves, the more that you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me, right? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We cannot present a reason for God to finally close off his heart to us. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, well then, yeah, we're cast out. The walls go up. But with God, our confession of sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. This peace with God, this access by faith that we have through what Jesus has done, nothing but coming to him is required first at conversion when we first put our trust in Jesus and then a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon death. And here's the most important part. For those united to him, the heart of God is not a rental. It is our new permanent residence. You, 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 you online, you, me, you are not a tenant. You're a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and his comfort. When I read that, when I think about that, when I, I think about that list of friend, child, all those verses in the Bible, the more time I spend pondering that, 
the more I begin to realize why this Christianity thing is called good news. My view of myself is often not good news. My view of myself as I see myself is often flawed and negative, but God sees something different. And the more I accept how God views me, the more joy I experience in my relationship with him, the more joy I experience in life. When I, when I try to understand or grasp, when God opens my heart more to understand, this is how you see me really, man, I find the antidote for the pain and hurt that my own self-image causes so often. But if we could all live there, what if we could all live in that reality and that truth? God, I am your friend. God, you call me your child. You, you see me as a masterpiece. Don't you think our relationship with God would improve? I think it could change everything. And so what I want to do today, we still have just a few minutes left. I actually want to take some time and, and just simply talk to God together. Now, not out loud. We could talk to him from the quietness of our hearts, but I, I would just invite you to maybe sit back and bow your head and close your eyes just so we can focus a little better. And what I want to do is just give us some prompts to talk to God about. And there, there's going to be some times of silence. If you get a little uncomfortable, that's okay. If your mind starts to wander, that's fine. Just kind of redirect when you notice. But I just want to give us some things to talk to God about and then give us space to just communicate with him. And so just from the quietness of your own heart, I want to lead us as we talk to him. Why don't we just take a moment and admit to God how we see ourselves right now. Whatever our view of ourselves is, if it's if it doesn't line up with that list from before what God says, why don't we just confess to God, my view of myself is inaccurate. Father, I'm sorry for not accepting how you see me. In your own words, communicate that to God. We can each ask God to or just say, God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak to my heart about who I really am. Ask God to reveal how he sees you to you. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit would lead us and remind us of truth. And so 
in your own words, in your own way of, of talking to God, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you or give maybe give the Holy Spirit permission to remind you of this truth when we will inevitably all start to drift. As we all just keep being mindful of God and and in kind of this mode of talking to him or being with him, I just want to read a a prayer that's found in the Bible. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to pray this for myself. I want to pray it for all of us. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. God, I pray for me, I pray for all of us. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. All glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Amen.